Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Michael Paré, and you're listening to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies, and even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Oh my gosh. You know that this has been on my bucket list, my to-do list, my who do you want on the show list for quite some time uh, to get Michael Pere. You know this was a big deal to me. Yeah, a big part of like your origin story as a human being is certainly everything relating to Walter Hill, the Warriors, everybody knows this, it's Zach's favorite movie, um, followed, I feel, I feel like followed closely by, uh, well, Streets of Fire, definitely, definitely up there, and uh, and and Tom Cody, Michael Perret's character in that, you know, has always been someone uh, you know, I, I always joke uh, on social media, I'm, I'm putting, you know, photoshopping you in his duster and who wore it better, Tom Cody or Zach. Um, two, two very cool first names in one name. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and then of course we have Eddie and the Cruisers. Everybody knows that. Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives. Everybody doesn't know that one as much, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, the guy the guy is is pivotal when we talk early eighties development for the two of us. Just a cool dude. Just a cool dude. A cool dude who um I was so happy to find was as engaging as I would hoped he would be. And the stories that he tells in today's episode are really wild. They're really wild how he got to where he is today, really. The guy's been in the filmmaking business for 42 years. He's been an actor for 42 years, and that was not his initial career choice, which is wild. He talks a bit about magic, what magic is, and this was magic to have him on the show. Right, real magic, not not like uh, close-up magic or uh, illusions. Uh, The the magic of, of, of fate, if you will, the magic of of synchronicity in the world and yes. the universe. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt yeah. about that. And um, yeah, so we've listed his favorites. I think we should just jump on into it because uh, his coolness awaits. You know what I'm saying? So without further ado, let's get to Michael Pere.
uh michael this is this is my co-host and my brother in arms dustin uh next to me hey dustin nice to meet you great to meet Jack you at the uh, comic-con yeah good memory I, I i saw the pictures you had the best mustache i've ever seen <laughs> and and I've been trying to get Zach to grow one, and he's like, I don't want to grow one, and you know, because because he too would has would have this great this great Michael Prey like facial hair. <laughs> so uh, it takes yeah. many months for me to get a good mustache. Same, going. same here. Yeah. Actually, maybe that's D Dustin. You might be onto something. Actually, <laughs> there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into facial hair, and I think that's you know a lot of guys just get like overwhelmed or whatever. There's like I don't want the yep. trouble, but. When you, like, you guys can grow, you can both grow beautiful mustaches and that's... Well, look how thick your beard is. Why are you talking it's, like you're well, not in the club? I am in the club, but, like, if I just, like, if I shaved the beard and I just had the mustache, it would look like I had a windowless van. Like, come on, kids, come to the... You know <laughs> what I mean? It, it wouldn't van. look like... Uh, yeah, like, it would. you know what I mean? It, it's that creepy mustache. It's not the, like, I'm a man mustache. It's not the, uh, let's go have adventures together, ladies. You know, it's it's like... So, but anyway, but thank you for the, that's why I stick to the beard. Cause I, um, but anyway, I'm going to let, I'm I'm gonna let to you go, Dustin. No, uh, we're not here to talk about facial hair. Um, I so mean, I am. But. I got to say, Michael, it is, it is beyond a shadow of a doubt, like a true honor to have you on our show, $2 late fee. Um, I may fanboy throughout this quite a bit. Uh, you are like an icon. For sure, at least to me specifically, um, you know, case in point, I've, I've got a bunch of, you know, soundtracks and movies and whatnot from your films uh, from from Eddie and the Cruisers on um, dancing around his head right now. If you look, if you look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how long have you had this uh, this relationship with Michael Beck? So I met Michael Beck uh, a couple years ago at a convention and and told him i said look i'm, I'm this is before two dollar late fee i said i want to do a show uh with my friend uh kind of retro podcast he goes well let me know when it comes on and you know i'll see what my schedule is blah 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 and my gosh i mean watching you guys in in houston nights back in the day um yeah that was fun i love that show <laughs> i love that show it's a shame that it didn't go more than a couple seasons you know but, but that was a lot of fun yeah well you know Television is is very complex. You know, the when the people at the network change and the studio change, and they want it, they moved us like three times. Yeah, from ten o'clock to seven o'clock to nine o'clock. It's like, uh, come on, guys, how do you expect us to to uh, for our audience to follow us when you keep changing the day and the time? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you guys right. did, hey, did what thirty some odd episodes of that show, right? No, we did forty four. We did two full seasons. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Jay Bernstein was a blast to be around. You know, he, he's died, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. But, you know, he was a Hollywood icon. Yeah. And when he called and said, Mike, we're going to do a, a series. It's going to be like Buford Pusser and, and Clint Eastwood. I said, I'm in, Jay. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. When you guys are both on the set, are you are you known as Perret and Beck, to, to keep things not confusing? Yeah, yeah, because we're both Mike. Well, there right. were like four Michaels on the set. There was me and Mike Beck. There was Michael... Uh, Mike Winters, and then another Mike. Mike Winters was the gaffer, and there was another Mike. Mike in the electric department, you know. So you could yell Mike, and four people would turn their head. <laughs> right, not very helpful. Yeah. Well, it's fun. Well, you know, I, I was a <laughs> I was a kindergarten teacher, and I had a lot of kids that had the same first name. One year, I had three Lolas. 
So I had Lola, there was Lola left and I called her double L and I had Lola B and you know, you could have been Mike P and Mike B and (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, like 95% of the time we were both in the same scene. So they just called the boys. I love, I love the fact that you mentioned uh, Euford Pusser from walking tall and dirty Harry right. in the same reference in the same line there. I mean, un- talk about an underrated movie walking tall and that character specifically. They made two or three of yeah. them and then they remade it. I mean, uh, yeah. I knew who it was right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, Joe Don Baker. No doubt. King of badassery back in the day. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you obviously had a good time on that show. And was that where your relationship with Michael started? Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. He worked with Walter Hill first. Yep. And I got a funny story about that. I'm, I don't know if I told you when we met. No. But when I was working in uh, Tavern on the Green, I lived on 101st Street between West End and Riverside. And I came home one night. And there's a whole crowd, you know, like on my street. And I said, what the, what's going on here, guys? And they said, they're shooting a movie. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, yeah, right down on Riverside Drive by the monument. And I go down there and, yeah, they're shooting a movie, big production. And uh, I, you know, I've, I'm in New York. And I heard this story that if you are uh, annoying enough, <laughs> that somebody will come by and throw you 20, 50, depending on how big a problem and how big the budget is. They'll throw you some bucks if you uh-huh. just quiet down. So <laughs> yes. I'm standing on the curb and, you know, I step up on, on the, the stoop and I said, hey, what are you doing in my neighborhood? And nobody says anything. And then they say action and everybody gets quiet. And I say it loud. What are you doing in my neighborhood? Cut. Um, someone comes over and says, you got to be quiet when we're rolling. I said, Why? Said, because we're rolling. And I said, I don't care. This is my neighborhood. What are you doing in my neighborhood? And this guy comes up to me, David Sosna. David Sosner was the first AD. And he says, what's your problem, asshole? And I said, give me 20 bucks. And he says, is that it? You're going to shut up for that? And I said, yeah. Somebody reaches in his pocket and gives me 20 bucks. So like four years later, I'm on the set of Streets of Fire, which is also Walter Hill. Yep. And David Sosner is the first AD. Wow. Oh, my God. And the first day, he comes up to me on the set and he says, 101st Street. And Riverside holy Drive. Mommy. And I said, yeah. And he goes, Shit. holy cow. You know, so that was my, you know, that's when I first became aware of Michael Beck because I had to go see the movie. Of know? course. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. David Sosner was the first AD on Warriors and Streets of Fire. And Walter Hill was the director. And, and uh, Gene, um, gosh, the, we had the same DP. And I remember he called, uh, he called Michael Beck, Gary Cooper, and he called me uh, the guy from Gone with the Wind. Oh, um, oh my God. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Of course, we're all, we're all blanking on Gone with the Wind yeah. right now. Anyway, so, I mean, we, we, we were like in the same circle of hell for a while there. And then they, here we do. We walk on the set and we have uh, a lot of similar, uh, a, a very similar background. That, that's that's so wild. I I've always been fascinated with your sort of acting origin story because you were training as a you were a chef, correct? When yeah, you were discovered. Yeah, I was working at uh, a restaurant on Columbus Avenue on Seventy Fourth Street. I I lived between Seventy Fourth and uh, Central Park West at the time. 
so I could walk to, it was right down the street from me. And my girlfriend was a waitress in a bar on like 67th in Columbus called Chip's Pub, which is no longer there, but you know, the building is still there. So after I got off of work as a cook, I could go down to the bar where she worked and, you know, and hang around until she got off like two o'clock in the morning. And it was right across from ABC where they did the news. So it was kind of a show business bar. You know, the, the news guys, Roger Grimsby and Bill Butel would be in there a lot. And uh, the, the Westies, the uh, stagehands from Madison Square Garden used to hang out there and drink there. And there was an agent, Yvette Bickoff, who I still am in contact with. She lives out in uh, Palm Springs. She sat down next to me one night and asked me what I was, you know, where, what I was doing there. And I said, I'm, I need his boyfriend. I'm here every night. And she says, you're not a, a model or a dancer or anything like that. And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm working Cafe Europa. So she said, why don't you act? And I said, cause I went to cooking school. <laughs> so she knew that I was hanging out there. So it took about three nights and she said, uh, finally, I think you should become an actor. And I said, Sweetie, only waiters are actors. I'm a chef. <laughs> and she said, uh, yeah. well, listen, what I would like to do is have lunch with you. So I, I talked to Anita. I talked to my brother who lived in my old apartment because I was now living with Anita. And he said, what the hell? You know, you're, uh, you're already in the restaurant business. As a matter of fact, the chef of Cafe Europa had hooked me up with his brother who had a restaurant in Marseille. So I had this opportunity wow. as an American to go to Marseille and work in a French restaurant. Nice. And it was right at that time when I met uh, Yvette and I really had a big decision to make. So I asked my brother and uh, he's, and like I said, it was, I already had a, a restaurant career ahead of me. You know, I was good at what I did. I loved what I do six days a week, 10 hours a day. And it wasn't, I wasn't stressing about it. I was happy. But she said, I saw we have lunch. And I said, listen, I'm not going to stop the restaurant business. So I can't, uh, I don't have time to go to acting class. And she says, there's a class in Carnegie Hall with a guy named Robert Modica. You can go during the day, two days a week. And if you don't like it, you can walk away. And I said, I'm not going to pay for this. She said, no, 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 no. Because she <laughs> represented Robert Modica and she would send clients there. Oh my and, God. Uh, so I uh, studied with him for about six or seven months. He's, he uh, taught the Meisner method, which was like, you know, you might as well be speaking Greek to me. Mm -hmm. I was in the restaurant <laughs> business and it was like, what the fuck is going on? But uh, then she hooked me up with, and, and I liked the class. I liked it. The thing was, as a cook, all the waitresses were actresses and they didn't want to date a cook. Right. Yeah. But once I started studying acting, mm -hmm. suddenly I was an actor and these beautiful actresses that would, you know, go out for a drink with me, you know, and it was a whole nother world. Yeah. So there was a lot of, attraction to the entertainment industry so anyway i studied with modica for like seven months and then i she hooked me up with this other guy who taught pretty much the strasberg method and um you know it, it was got to be a lot of fun and um so now this is how i actually got on tv so i'm going to class and i'm hearing this rumor that there's a star maker coming to new york and she's doing this national tour and she's casting for ABC's talent development program. And I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but everybody in class was, you know, trying to figure out how to get in there. I called Yvette and I said, you're going to get me in to see Joyce Selznick, right? And she says, Michael, 
every agent I know gets to send in two clients. And I said, what about me? Yeah. And she says, no, yeah, I haven't had any luck with you. I've got two other guys I'm sending in. So I followed a guy from class into the audition <laughs> who had an audition, right? So I follow him in and it's at the Laurent. And I think it's like on the fifties in, in Midtown, beautiful hotel. There's another story by the Laurent. Um, so anyway, I go in and the, the hallway is full of actors and they're sitting on the floor. And, you know, as you get closer and closer to the actual um, hotel room where they're doing the meetings. Uh, I, so I walk all the way up there and I see the sides and I grab them and I'm standing in the hallway like I belong there. And you're supposed to sign in when you get the sides. And I and I didn't. So I'm standing there with the sides and this woman comes kind of hobbling out because she had a cane. And she comes walking out and she looks at me and I thought, oh, geez, I'm caught. And I thought she was going to say, who's your agent? Yeah. And she didn't. She just looked at me and she walked back in to the main, you know, to the hotel room, which was a suite. It wasn't like a studio, you know what I mean? It was a three bedroom suite because it was for ABC. And she comes back out and she says, so what are you doing here? And I said, um, auditioning. Did Who's your agent? Oh, no. I said, uh, Yvette Bickoff. And she goes, come with me. Oh, shit. And I thought, again, they were going to secure you. Yeah. Yeah. He brings me into the suite and she says, sit down. And she says, do you know who I am? And I said, no, I'm sorry. Uh, look, and she says, I'm Joyce Selznick. I'm running this show. Now you're going to come back in two weeks. We're going to put you on tape. And if this works out, I'm taking you to Hollywood. Whoa. And I came back in two weeks. They shot a little thing on uh what was an enormous video camera at the time. And I, I got it. They gave me a contract for ABC's talent development program, which means they gave me $10,000 in cash, not in cash. They gave me a check for $10,000 and a round trip, first class ticket to Hollywood. And I got greatest American hero. That was part of the contract. That would be on greatest American hero. This is my unit, huh, Ralph? Just what I always wanted, romper room. Hey, Mr. H, this guy wants our help. You better learn how to say please. You, on any given day, the one thing I don't want to hear is some hubcap stealing shrimp telling me how to run my unit. You got your gun on you? Yeah. You gonna wave the piece of iron in my face again? Okay, okay. Gee, I'm glad we got that out in the open. Greatest American Hero just, you know, it was a, you know, it was a successful show. Yeah. You know, we were on mm -hmm. Wednesdays at 8 o'clock, prime time. Uh, the theme song was number one in the United States for like two or three weeks. And Stephen Cannell, it was his first independent production. So, I mean, boom, you know, he did Beretta. He did all of these shows. He had like five shows on at one yeah, time. He's, oh, yeah. So I, I got really uh, I got really lucky. And from there, I, I did my first movie after the first season. And I went from being a, a supporting, you know, like a small supporting role. Billy Cat was a special ed teacher. And me, Faye Grant, and Don Cervantes were like his three prime problem students. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had one or two lines per episode, but I had 17 out of 22 episodes for two seasons and uh, made a lot of dough in my mind. It was a lot of dough at the time. And uh, boom, I got my first movie and my career started. And now it's 2022. I came to Hollywood in 1980 and started working. So for 42 years, I've been a working actor. Unreal, That's unreal. Can we, can we back up just for one second? Because I, yeah. I, you said something amazing. So you're, I just wanted to, your mindset for a minute. You're in class 
Yvette's like, I'm not taking you. So you know she's not taking you. You No, she's representing me, but she couldn't get me the audition. She's, get, she's not getting you the audition. So you know you're not getting... So what in your mind where you're like, I'm going to follow my buddy from class and he knows you're not supposed to be there or he doesn't know? Or no, he like, doesn't know I'm following him. You're, you're wow. literally <laughs> following him. Like you're behind him. Yeah. Like sneaking around corners. He's making a laugh. No, well, I knew, I knew the address of the place. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> You know, so it was like, I thought I'd go and, you know, follow him in. in the you elevator. were just, you were just like, fuck it. I'm just going to follow him. Yeah. What can they do? Throw me out. I mean, yeah, right. That's the worst thing. Beat they can me up or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then also your relationship with, with Yvette of like, what are you, what are you doing there? That you didn't even no, care about that. Because once I got the deal, because they made the deal, you know, when Selsa came out and said, I'm taking you to Hollywood. Right. You know, um, I called Yvette and I said, I got it. And she said, oh my God, how did you do that? And I said, you know, <laughs> I, I, I forget the guy's name. He, you know, he follows me on Facebook still, but yeah, I followed Dirk, not Dirk, Ed Durkey or Dirk Edwards, something like oh that. Oh my God. And she says, did you say that I was your agent? I said, no, I didn't sign in because Celtic came out and talked to me personally. I didn't have, I, like, I jumped to the head of the line. Yeah. Amazing. Somehow, you know. That's unreal. That's well done. I mean, it, you hear these stories about being at the right place at the right time, but this was something that you hadn't even, wasn't even on your radar up until not, you know, up until a certain point. And here you are getting on greatest American hero. And you're right. It was a hit show. I mean, you, you sing the, 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 the bar or the, the jingle to that and people automatically look at what happened to me. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you had a very distinctive look that was the complete opposite of William cat. William cat's this lanky blonde, curly haired kid. And you're this, you know, hunky dark haired dude. And here you come in, here you come in and, and, and make this show. And was this what segued into Eddie and the cruisers? We were shooting the first or second episode of the second season of Greatest American Hero, and we did that down in St. Croix in the Caribbean. Oh, nice. Nice location. And like I said, we worked one or two days per episode, and it's seven-day episode. So it's like two out of every 10 days we were on the set, usually. And uh, so on the way back, we had a connecting flight through New York. So me and Don... We were like thick as thieves. We were, we were having a lot of fun. I said, let's go see my bro because he lived down the Lower East Side. We had like a week off. So we get off the plane. We go and hang out with my brother, Terrence, who was a writer at the time. He was writing novels and he got his, finally got his doctorate from Columbia University in English literature. So, you know, having actors around, we were, we were welcome. It was a wonderful thing. And while I was there, my agent called my, I called my manager, who was Selzik's uh, partner before she died, and told her that we stopped in New York. She said, well, what are you doing there? And I said, let's hang around. So my agent calls up and gets upset. He says, well, as long as you're there, there's a guy who wants to meet you. Uh, you got to go pick up the script. And it was Eddie and the Cruisers. So I picked up the script. I read it. I went in and met Marty. And uh, that was the beginning of, you know, where they were really considering me. And about, I don't know, um, like a month later, they started making the deal. And the hiatus of the second season, which is like we shoot nine, 13 episodes, and then you have a hiatus and you shoot nine more. That hiatus is where we shot Eddie and the Cruisers once. Wow. Went to Cherry Hill, New Jersey for 40 shooting days. And um, 
then it came back and finished uh, greatest American hero. Perfect. Did you, uh, did you have any like prior singing practice or and that must've been kind of challenging lip syncing these songs so effectively? I mean, personally watching you, I don't see, when I see you sing, I don't think of John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band. I think of Eddie and the cruisers. Well, you know, there was a lot involved. Um, Helen Schneider, who played Joanne Carlino, when when she came out to New Jersey, she brought her manager, husband, and her best friend, and they were like a real rock and roll band, like a it was like pre-punk, mm. right? She was kind of like uh, she was a little bit like Joan Jett, and she just nice. anyway, she had toured Germany and and had a great career as a rock and roller. She had released a few records in the United States, but her manager, lover. Um, best friend, George Nasser. He saw that I didn't know what the fuck was going on, but he liked me and um, <laughs> hanging around with him. It, uh, we put it together. We, we just put it together, but you know, it was a very, it was a very risky thing. They were ready to fire me because they didn't know if I could do it because they had never seen me try to do it. Yeah. We got all the way up to the, like the night before my, the night. Yeah, it was, well, it was the day before. So I had a full night and uh, almost 24 hours from this thing. I get called to the set and they're shooting the scene where Matthew Lawrence is, is like, you know, he's touring with the remnants of Eddie and the Cruisers doing our old songs. Yeah. And uh, Matthew was best friends with Kenny Vance, who was from Jay and the Americans, a real doo-wop guy, yeah. right? And him and, and he was coaching Matthew for his song. He had to do oldies but goodies and lip sync to that. So I get called to the set and I'm, I'm like... Okay, what's going on here? And Marty came up to me and he said, come here. And Toons was with me, the saxophone player. And Toons, you know, kind of ambles along, see what, what Marty's going to say. And Marty <laughs> said, listen, we all know you're full of shit. You don't know what you're oh, doing. No. Tomorrow is the day. Oh, and great. if you fuck up, you're fired. Oh, man. You're fired. And he's not saying it quiet like this. He's, he's like throwing a fit. I don't know if his intention was to make me focus. I don't know what the fuck. Great motivator. But anyway, <laughs> thanks, uh, dad. <laughs> he says, we got someone back at the hotel ready to go on. So tomorrow's it, kid. If you fuck up, you're out. And I didn't, you know, I hit it. Bam. The click track started mm -hmm. and I hit every syllable and it was so intense. I mean, uh, first take, boom. There was silence after everybody quiet down because, the, you know, the crowd went wild and all that other shit. And uh, Marty just couldn't believe it. well kid you did it and I, and I just you know i just shook my head and then we did dark side for the rest of the day for like you know 10 hours i was doing that song but hey you know there was a lot of talent involved fred fred murphy was a great cinematographer yeah. uh roger deakins was uh the operator i mean there was talent oh, come there. on yeah and uh you know they moved the camera they lit me uh you know 
And uh, the funny thing is that first song, Dark Side, the guy who wrote the book that the movie's based on, P.F. Kluge, I think is his name, he wrote the lyrics to Dark Side. Mm. And that was the, the real hit because Tender Years and Wild Summer Nights, they were released on a, I, I, no, I have the Streets of Fire 45. I have, I have a 45 of uh, John Carafferty and the Beaver Brown yeah. Band. And uh, that was released maybe 15 years before we did Eddie and the Cruisers. And it didn't go anywhere. Oh, wow. It was like a local Rhode Island band. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, it was one of those magical things, but there was a lot of magic involved. There is a lot of magic. You know? Yeah, here it is. I did this student film with this one of the girls from acting class. Um, and, you know, it was just a little bullshit movie, like maybe 10 minutes. You know, this the cinematographer was, you know, wanted to get in the movie business. But anyway... We shoot this thing and she and she calls me up and says, would you like to have dinner? I said, yeah, sure. And she says, with Salvador Dali. And I said, yeah, sure. And she says, do you know who Salvador Dali is? And I said, no, who is he? Is he uh, an agent? And she says, he's a famous painter. And I said, okay, where? And she said, the Laurent, the same hotel where I met you. Right? But wait, this, this is this is the, the mystical part. Of is this after? So is this she after, says, be, uh, is this? This is before. Okay. This is before. Okay. This, this is, I should have told this first. No, it's all good. So anyway, it says, be there at 7.30 because dinner's at 8 o'clock. So I get there. And of course, I'm a wise ass. And they say, don't, Dolly doesn't touch hands. I stick my hand. I said, hello, Dolly. Well, hello. Oh, you know, shit. And, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so his wife, you know, it's a big table. It's in the lobby of the Laurent. Oh, and it's, it's like a fucking circus. It's like a, a Fellini movie. And... <laughs> Gala Dolly, his wife, says, you sit next to me. I said, okay. And she's, uh, she's you know, watching me and we're talking all this other, you know, uh, Mia Farrow was on my right and Gala Dolly was on my left. So she says, give me your hand. And I give her my hand and she's looking at the lines in my hand. And she says, you know, I'm psychic. I said, yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, right? right. And she takes a flower off the table and she's looking in my eyes and she's doing this thing with the flower petals. And then she looked really deep in my eyes and she says, in six months, a woman is going to come into your life and you will become a national name. I said, what does that mean? And she says, I said, is it Vivian? And she says, no, it's not Vivian. Is it, is it my, she says, I don't know who it is, but <laughs> in six months, a woman's going to come into your life and make you a national name. Whoa. And Less than see, like three months later, I meet Joyce Selznick and she puts me on Greatest American Hero. That's insane. Oh my God. Yeah. That's insane. That's magic. That's wild. That's magic. Yeah. And it's all, it happened at the Laurent, Laurent twice. Gala Dolly and then Joyce Selznick. So now you're living at the Laurent in. <laughs> right. Yeah. Renamed yeah. the Laurent. It would have been a hotel I would have liked to work at as a cook because, you know, it was one of those very chic places where Dolly always stayed. That's wild. So, uh, that is. It would have been a great kitchen to me. That's mind blowing. That's mind blowing. It yeah. really is. And and so and when you and when you became this big name, were, was any part of you still like, well, but I really love cooking and this. Well, is I good. still I cook, you know, I cook all the time. No, what it was is uh, I started to doubt myself because it was like magical, you know, bing, bing. And suddenly I'm on TV and then bing, Eddie and the Cruisers hits. And, you know, it was you know, they, they mobbed us a couple of times. You know, I, I did a couple of talk shows and there was a mob outside and we had to be whisked away in a fucking limousine. Wow. 
So, yeah, I started to doubt myself when I got to Streets of Fire and they said this is a twenty six million dollar movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one of the biggest budgets that Universal did at that time. I was like, holy God almighty. And Diane Lane, she had worked with Lawrence Olivier. She was on Broadway when she was 12 years old. Uh, it, it was um, it was scary. I came back from Australia, did this little artsy movie in Australia. I came back and like three days later, they said, you have a meeting at uh, Warner Brothers. I think it was Warner Bros. And uh, oh, it was at Universal. Yeah, Universal. And I meet Walter Hill. And uh, Diane's not on the movie yet. It was between Diane and the girl from uh, Splash. Oh, Daryl Hannah? Daryl Hannah. Yep. Yeah. So she wasn't on yet. But there's Rick Moranis. There's, um, you know, and, and Joel Silver. And, and I'm like, um, you know, I, I this little movie in Australia, Eddie and the Cruises hadn't, I, I don't, anyway. So I was kind of overwhelmed and I felt like they're going to figure out that I've been faking it all along. And uh, so it was, it was a scary time. But anyway, we shot the movie. It came out. They uh, they all jumped ship and went to 20th century. So Universal said, you know, why are we going to promote this? Oh. Um, you know, it, it was uh, anyway. Yeah, it, it, it was an interesting time. And here I am all of 24 years old, you know, Three years before that, I was working in a restaurant in New York. That's wild. And you're a kid. You're a kid. I mean, I think about, I think about where my head was at when I was 24. I'm, I'm, I'm just always fascinated when it comes to stories like yours when, when we're talking about like, like mindset too. Because like, there's something about being, you know, being in your 20s where you are so fearless and you're just like, I don't really give a fuck. So I'm just gonna like follow my classmate. Like, what do I have to lose? There's just nothing. You have no fear. When I got out to Hollywood, um, the, the actor strike happened. So I jumped into a class. And after two months, you know, we start hearing that the strike is going to be over and get ready. We're going to start shooting the pilot, blah, 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 blah. So in the class, I went to the teacher, James Farentino, was teaching the class, right? And I said, James, I, I, got, I got a job and I'd, I'd like to hire, get a coach you know, to, for the scenes. And he goes, what do you got a scene? And I said, no, I got nine scenes. He says, what do you mean you got nine scenes? I said, yeah, it's for Stephen Cattle. And uh, he says, all right, all right, all right. All right we'll, we'll talk about this later. And they didn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And they wouldn't even let me into the, the working class. You know, it was like, no, 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 no. You're still learning. Uh, you're a beginner. And, Dude, I got, I got, you know, a part in a, Stephen Cattle. I'm I'm on a show. It, yeah, I'm on a show, and they didn't believe it. So then, when the show's on the air, then I get the call from them and say, "Why didn't you come to me?" I said, "I did. You told me uh, I wasn't ready for to be coached." <laughs> so I ended up going to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Pasadena, and I got prepared. And you know, it was um, you know, it's it, it's it's a funny career, and I've had a great time, and uh, I look forward to you know another I don't know eight more years or so. Yeah, no, your career has been absolutely amazing. You've been going, you've been going this this entire time. You know, time. Bruce Dern is says that he's going to work until he's a hundred. I just worked with him like close to Christmas, just before Christmas, and uh, we had done another movie. But when we were shooting Houston Nights on the hiatus of that, I went and shot a movie with Bruce in Arizona, and we became kind of buddies. He mentions me in his biography, and um, so I just worked with him, and now he's like probably eighty six. Yep. And he's still like 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing some great work. He got nominated he for Nebraska, right? And he got yep. the the golden feather or whatever the fuck, golden frond. <laughs> whatever. And, and, the uh, fuck. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and and it's like we had seen each other, you know, yesterday. Hey, Bruce, Mike, hey, hey, man, you know what I love about this guy? He's funny. Not only is he talented, he's very funny. You know, Bruce, you know, that's a big compliment from Bruce there, you know, because he has a lot of fun. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, think of his career, right? Oh yeah, epic. I mean, yeah. epic. I asked him. I said, "So how did it, how did you feel killing John Wayne?" And he says, "The Duke beat the hell out of me." And the whole thing, he was supposed to die when I shot him, and he refused. He wanted to crawl off and die by himself. And I <laughs> said, "That's kind of funny." He says, "Yeah, it's kind of funny to tell the story, but in the moment where he says, no, I'm not dying in the same frame as this guy.'" <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you got to know people personally to hear some of their best stories. Right. I love that stuff. And did you did you have any of those moments where like, obviously, you know, you, you're you're growing up, you're you're watching all of these these folks on the screen and then you're suddenly working with them. Are you feeling like, dude, oh, I worked with Rod Steiger. Wow. From from on the waterfront. Yeah. Insane. Which in one of the most famous scenes in American cinema. I could have been a contender. He was in that, you know, he was playing right. Marlon Brando's brother. So to work with him, he played my dad, you know, and he, he liked me, you know, he gave me a little present at the end of the shoot. And, uh, that is so cool. I worked with Roy Scheider, you know, from Jaws. Of course. French Connection. I worked with Malcolm McDowell. I worked with uh, Dennis Hopper. You know, Dennis Hopper and I got along really well. You know, I worked with some major, ten- Danny Aiello, Paul Trevino, all those yeah. New York wise guys, you know. Yeah, so it's just got to feel quite surreal at that point where you're like... Oh, man, it feels like this is... I've lived the dream. I've been really blessed. And, um, you know, I love my job. This is why I keep working is uh, my general attitude is grateful to be employed in the entertainment industry. I like to be on time, even for auditions. I show up an hour early and I sit in the car. You know, it's like, you know... So many people have this dream of working as an actor. And if you don't appreciate it, um, I think you are, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of theories, but I think inspiration comes from, you know, appreciation for the situation you're in. Totally, totally. You know, like, you know, I get on the set and the directors and I always get along because, you know, sooner or later I say something like, you know, they, they said, how do you learn all those lines? And I said, I do this for a living, man. That's <laughs> my job. Seriously. It's my job. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, these guys bring me on to do 10 pages of dialogue. And, and, uh, and you, you gotta, you, you gotta treasure that because you think of, cause I was, I studied for a long time. I went to a lot of classes and I saw all of these talented, I'm going to remember the actor studio. You yep. see all these people with all of this talent and they're just dying to get on a set. And if you're not, going to take advantage of that moment between action and cut, you know, you're a loser. Yeah. I totally agree. Right. It's like opportunity when opportunity meets preparation. It's like, or all the people that are just kind of like, uh, you know, almost like self-sabotaging or something or it's. Yeah. But you know what? I understand why, because there it's like, it's the opportunity that, you know, I've said this, you know, I've taught a few classes, you know, and I did a few seminars. And I said, you know, every job you get could be the one, and you don't know which one it is that somebody's going to see. So here's another funny story. 
it's not a funny story, but this is evidence of my theory about this. I do this little silly movie in uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. The chief of police was a friend of mine, and he called me and said, oh, Michael, I'm producing this movie. I want like you to play chief a cop. police of Hoboken? Yeah, Tony <laughs> Falco. He was a chief. Oh, yeah. So I said, all right, yeah, sure, Tony, I'll come out. So I have this scene with this really talented guy, Eric Edabari. He directed two movies. I, he directed a movie I did. I mean, since then. So we have this little scene where uh, I'm the cop and I'm bringing this guy in to question. We're looking for a murderer. And, uh, you know, the script said, you know, we're going to go to jail and you're going to meet Bubba. You're going to get married. And I went to Tony. I said, Tony, come on. What would you really do? I mean, Eric is like 6'4". He's a bear. He's not afraid of getting raped, for one thing. Well, <laughs> he says, Michael, what they're all afraid of is going back and having to finish their sentence. It has nothing to do with getting fear of being raped or beat up. They don't want to go to jail for two more yeah, years. Yeah. So I said, so what should I do? He said, you bang his head on the table and you say, listen, I'm going to violate your parole and you'll go back and finish your sentence. Now, either you cooperate or that's exactly what's going to happen. So that's the scene, right? So Eric uh, is on, in a basketball league here in California. And, like, and they, they play in Beverly Hills or in Brentwood or something. And it turns out there's a bunch of people in show. I mean, Eric was a real player, right? I mean, yeah. he played basketball in high school and college. So he was a good player. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of people in the entertainment industry in this league. So I'm at home making dinner with my, my wife and my son. And the phone rings. And I said, you never know who's on the other line. So I'll pick it up even if I really shouldn't because I'm having dinner. I pick it up. He says, Michael. I said, yeah. He says, Michael Paré. I said, yeah. He said, this is Brad Furman. I just saw a video. Did you work with Eric Edabari? I said, yeah. And he says, I saw your video. He gave me your number. I'm doing Lincoln Lawyer. I want you to be in my movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, so every job could be the magic one. And I really believe in magic. Magic happens, man. I do too. I do too. Yep. And you don't know why it strikes and where it strikes or when, if it's going to strike. Here's another funny little story. So we're on the set of Streets of Fire and it's really an action movie. And, uh, you know, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, I want to be a, you know, an artist. Uh, you know, I want to be a great actor. And Walter, Walter's like, Michael, just be a tough guy, be a hero. Don't, you know, don't worry about this stuff. So there's a scene where we hijack the school bus, right? And the school bus oh, yeah. drives down the street and the I, I'm, I'm supposed to step out. And Walter says, we're gonna bring in Jerry. Jerry was my stunt double. I said, let me do it. He says, Michael, an actor is driving the bus. He says, let me do it, Walter. And he goes, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Step in front of the bus, Michael. So I do, but I hit just the right, my feet land in just the right space. And I put my hand on the hood of the bus and it moves and it looks like I stopped the bus with my bare hand. And it just was being in the right place. It was just like, bam. And it's like, you could not have set up, it would have taken a day to set up a shot like that. And it's, um, um, what's his name? Stoney Jackson. Driving. No, he's, he's an actor driving yeah. the bus. Yeah. So if he had just, you know, not put the foot on the clutch or something, you know, it would have like, knocked me down or it would have made me look clumsy but it made me look like superman and it's just magical stuff happens sometimes and and you know you have to be ready for that and uh yeah and also to know. be able to be like look let me do it just let me do it you know yeah. 
because yeah i feel like nowadays right insurance would be like crazy i can only imagine if stoney accidentally pushed a little heavy on the gas pedal yeah they if the if the producer if joel was there he probably would have said no he's not doing that yeah but you know walter was like go ahead michael you know he liked that i would dare do that he you know it was one of those guys who who lived he lived outside the box yeah. And even, well, and even having Stoney Jackson driving the bus seems a little like, <laughs> right? Like, because today you probably would have a driver. No, it would have been, we have to set up the shop with the stunt guy right. driving the bus right. and the stunt guy and you can only have camera has to be here and you can't see Stone, you know, the driver's face. It would have been like a half a day production, you know, yeah. and it, let me do it. It would have been a bad scene. Let's just do it. I'm here. Let's get it. Yeah. Let's get it. No, that's true. Yeah, it's definitely resonates what you're saying about magic, too. I'm a voice actor, and the first promo campaign I got was because I was playing pickup basketball, coincidentally, with a creative director from CBS. And it's that same kind of thing. It's like, but just also just being like organically, you know, yourself. Like, you don't want anything. You're just like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. (laughs) Just being you. You got a demo? Yes, I do. Yeah. Great. Okay. You'll be great on this campaign. Um, so I, I, I definitely believe in that as well. And uh, one of the things our podcast always talks about is this, is just this, this gratitude. Yep. Um, because I always feel, you know, gratitude just general in life, but also like permeating through the, through show business where it's like, you know, you're always hearing like, don't be a dick. And I'm like, why would, why would anyone be a dick? Like if you're doing what you love to do and like to, you know, to your point about like, no, I'm, this is my job. <laughs> of course I'm going to, memorize your lines yeah Yeah. and then you see somebody you see the uh the alternative and you're like okay i I see i see the point i see why (laughs) i see why we don't want dicks no (laughs) well i love my job i really love it but but it's also it's also so fortunate that you loved you love acting and show business as much as you loved cooking for example well you know it's um i haven't cook commercially for a long 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 time but uh yeah i cook a lot and sometimes i think i should start you know i over the pandemic i was posting short videos and pictures of you know i i perfected my french baguette uh you know <laughs> yeah. dumplings and you know yeah. I, you know I'll, I'll post stuff like that i would like to do that you know do make a serious run and do like 10 episodes of you know because every time you get a big job there's somebody who comes along and says why don't you do a cookbook and I would like to do that someday, but I don't know if it would be better to do the video or to publish the cookbook and then do the video, but I'll, I'll do that sooner or later. Yeah, do it. I mean, I think either or, either and, either or, both. Yep. We live in a society now where like everybody's filming everything they do at all times. Yeah, it's um, so strange, isn't it? It's really wild. And just like how much you can go down this rabbit hole of social media and then you're like, oh, I just lost... 25 minutes somehow and and i've gained nothing <laughs> well it depends what kind of social media you watch i true. watch a lot of ancient aliens and uh you know archaeology stuff and uh, animal stuff and bushcraft stuff you know it depends what you watch yeah yeah i watch a lot of dog videos yeah me too and uh yeah you know try try and keep it positive um and i'm a terrible cook but you know i, I enjoy watching other other people Um. (laughs) each week on the one hit thunder podcast we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a one hit wonder artist with us and together we decide if that artist brought the one hit thunder or was nothing more than a one hit blunder you can find one hit thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts 
So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. On our Patreon, we have a segment called $2.6 Questions, which is where uh, our fans get to ask you the questions. Okay. This is normally a Patreon exclusive, but we wanted to give a little sample today for you, the listener. If you would like to ask the questions, you can just sign up uh, to either our mid or our highest Patreon tier, and you can do that. But so for today, it will only be $2 for questions. And here we go. The first question is from... Um, from a Jeff Rubin. Um, um, Jeff Rubin, do I know him? He's my father, actually, and he oh, knows okay. you very well. Yeah, um, I know the name. I know, I know him from somewhere. Was he, he a publicist? He no, he's a uh, he's into uh, uh, unconditional healing and um, the the path of of chronic illness to wake up adversity. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, how cool is that? Yeah, it's pretty fascinating it, stuff. It is cool. So he he was actually wondering uh, what the your biggest regret of a life choice is that you have made, acting or otherwise. Um, my biggest regret, you know, I uh, I guess not taking responsibility for my career choices from the very beginning. I have for the past like 15, 20 years, I've been making all major decisions on my own. In the beginning, I let agents and managers do it. And um, it really was a fear of, of it's a cross of between being irresponsible and fear of being responsible for my choices. You know, it's like you decide that's not my job. Uh, that, that's a regret. I wish I had. Uh, I wish Joyce Selznick hadn't died mm. um, because she understood the, you know, the young actor. She gave me a book called Fear of Success. And uh, she knew exactly what was going in my mind because she took me out of the kitchen and put me on TV. Such a good answer, too. Yeah, that's a, that's a very thoughtful, good point. Like, just taking charge. Although, I, I mean, you, you, you took a lot of charge. You made yeah. it happen. Question number two. How about this? Uh, was it challenging being a werewolf for Bad Moon? <laughs> no, uh, I was so excited. Because I was living in Europe and I happened to be in L.A. And my agent told me Eric Red wanted to meet me. And they sent the script over and I read it. And, uh, you know, when I met him on again on the Warner Brothers lot with uh, one of the producers. And, you know, we talked about, you know, you know what it was. He wanted to see what it was going to be like working with me. And uh, I said, after, you know, all this getting to know each other and he's from New York, I said, so, Eric, what do I have to do? I mean, what's the next step to, to play the werewolf? And he says, just say yes. <laughs> and I said, yes. And he says, before you say yes, I got to tell you, there's going to be four days, four nights that you have to sleep in the, the trailer. And I said, why? And well, I said, why? And he said, because it's eight hours to get those prosthetics on. And it's going to take three hours to get them off. And then you have to shoot for 12 hours. Oh, my God. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And he said, you'll do it. I said, yeah, yeah, man. I said, it's four nights. No, not a big deal. And he said, okay, it's yours. So um, what was it like? I was so excited because the, the monologue that he gave my character, you know, Ted, uh, was just fantastic. And I knew from his work, I mean, he was a great writer. You know, he wrote The Hitcher. He wrote a bunch of great movies, uh, and worked with a lot of big talent. So the fact that he 
thought that I was right for the movie. And then Mario Hemingway was, you know, going to play my sister. It was like, I, w- I was, I was so excited to come back and do that. Wow. Outstanding. Um, what is your favorite thing to cook these days? Well, you know, I made paella last night, uh, which I, I do very well. And, um, but honestly, I like making Coco Van. I like making, I like making all that French bistro food. You know, but I make dumplings. I make, uh, you know, potsticker dumplings and shrimp dumplings. And uh, yes. these are things I've been doing lately. And, uh, you know, I really like that. I, I um, when I used to work with Uva Bowl, we used to make, have like a Sauerbraten competition. You know, and I make a great Sauerbraten. Uva would, I, I use chuck roast. Uva would go out and he'd buy a whole filet mignon. So he figured if I put $100 worth of meat in the pot, it's going to be the best. And I said, you know, I make a great, Zalbraten. And, uh, you know, we made like 10 movies, so we were always in competition with that. Oh, God, I love that. Yeah, but I like that. I like the braise. And, uh, you know, I got I got pretty good at my French baguette. Um, so, you know, I, I like that. There's a great movie out called Delicious. And it's about um, mm. this chef who was working for one of the aristocracy just before the French Revolution started. And he gets left and fired out of the, uh, the castle. And he goes and he starts a small, uh, they had like um, coach stops. You know, it wasn't like a bus yeah. stop, but it was the same thing because the coach couldn't go 24 hours a day. Right, so right. like every eight hours, there was like some farmer who opened his, and that those evolved into restaurants. So this guy got one of these coach stops and he made, and he's an incredible chef. And just the way he talked about food and is dubbed, right? So it's in French, but the way yes. they talked about, you know, developing the palate and the eyes and the nose and the tongue and, you know, the, the feeling when you consume food is, uh, anyway, I, I like to cook in general, in general, yeah. you know, uh, my son wants me to get developed ramen and, you know, it's yeah. not a big deal. It's just ingredients. Yes, but I love the, the like food almost as a spirituality or something. Where it's- well, you know, um, it's if you're not in, if you don't enjoy food, I say this, you know, not all the time, but if you're not, if you can't enjoy food, you're really missing out on one of the major pleasures in life. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think it's easy for Americans, especially where we're just in this like rush, 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 hurry. We just we don't even sometimes I don't even acknowledge like, oh. I'm eating food. Like I'm just like shoveling it in. And whereas I feel like, you know, Europeans and other ways of life are slow. Let's enjoy, let's live. Well, you don't have to be European to, uh, <laughs> to, to calm down and to sit down. And like me and my wife and my son, we ate dinner together every night and breakfast together every day, you know, and why? Because we want to, because we enjoy food. And, um, you know, my son's here for a few days and, we're making dinner and we're making breakfast and lunch, you know, um, you know, it's, it's uh, breakfast and dinner are like major meals. I, I make an awesome hollandaise sauce. So, you know, eggs Benedict and, and eggs Benedict, my wife would rather have it with salmon. I like it with black forest ham, but you know, you know <laughs> these are, these are great. This is, this is like one of the great joys in life. Food. Totally agree. Uh, so and you last- don't get too old for it. Well, you could, right. you know, if your health goes, but if you take care of your health, you can enjoy food until you're until you die. A- absolutely right. Maybe you, you have a little less uh, 
less wine yeah. or something but yeah yeah you know what eggs benedict once a week is plenty that's a yeah. lot of cholesterol but if you exercise it's okay a lot of hollandaise yeah yeah totally a lot of um, a lot of eggs going holiday uh so the last question would be um what do you miss most about the 80s um there were no cell phones you know this is the story i tell you know because my my son dates an actress and i said you know when i got to hollywood when you left the apartment, you were free and you, you know, you could think about it and worry about it, but it wasn't until you got home and you looked at your answering machine and realized nobody was calling, but we're walking around with these cell phones no. and they're not calling. They're not emailing. They're not texting. Uh -huh. They're not messaging, you know, and it's like, you go nuts realizing I have this way for these people to contact me and nobody's contacting me. But in the eighties, we only had an answering machine. Right. Totally. Yeah, you had totally. something to look forward to. Like, oh, let me see. Well, you didn't happens. you didn't have this thing right in your hand 24 hours that's not calling you. <laughs> right. Oh it's a, just a funny thought. I, I you might well you're you're in show, but you know, it's like if the, if you can't if you don't know they're not calling, you can relax. Totally. But when you're having the phone, you know they're not calling. You know they're not calling. And then there's something just about being too available and yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Um, thank you so, so much for your time today. This is a dream come true. Sincerely. All right, guys. Maybe I'll see you at one of these conventions. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Take care. All right. Be well. Thank you. God bless. Duke. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the Internet. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.